to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster planning, business continuity, emergency response, resiliency, crisis, and anything that can touch those subjects. As always, I'd like to remind everyone, if there is a specific subject you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free go to the Voice America page for Preparing for the Unexpected, and underneath the graphic... There is a little button that says send the host a note or an email and, uh, you know, let me know what it is you want us to talk about on the show or even if you want to be a guest on the show. I do get every email that uh, gets submitted and I do respond to all. So if there is anything, let me know. If you've been listening to the show for a while, um, you'll know that in May of 2018, I attended the inaugural Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto. And uh, every month we've been talking with one of the speakers that uh, presented at uh, the conference. And there was uh, um, many great speakers and topics that were brought forward. And today I'm uh, honored to have one of those speakers on the show. And uh, he's, I, I was going to say Mr., but I'm actually going to introduce him wrong. It's Lieutenant Glenn Mills. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Alex. So uh, tell us about yourself. You know, um, I know I introduced you as Lieutenant Glenn Mills, so obviously, you know, um, I'm not going to say exactly, but you know, I don't want to give anything away. Can you tell us about yourself, you know, what you do, um, where you are, and, you know, how you got to, to where you are today? Well, I'm a police lieutenant at the Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department. Uh, your listeners will have to f- forgive me if I forget to use my R's. The letter R is not, you know, used here a lot. <laughs> But um, I'm about 15 miles northwest of Boston, and we're located on Interstate 95, a community of about 26,000 people with a daytime population that more than doubles. We have a lot of major industries here, corporate headquarters, a large hospital, a large shopping mall, and a a lot of other things in a small area. So first of all, I just want to say um, thank you um, for being a member of the police department. I know, um, you know, Police put their lives in danger every day. So on behalf of myself and many listeners out there, thank you very much for what you do. Oh, thank you. And, well, um, you know, I do welcome you to the show. I really enjoyed your topic in, uh, in Toronto. I thought it was a little bit different than, you know, quite a few of the others, which is why I wanted to reach out and have you on the show. You talked about um, social media quite a bit. You know, so I'm, and which is something you don't normally hear from police, you know, like that topic, you would think of crime fighting and, you know, the the basic things most people think of. So when it comes to social media, you know, and with what you do, you know, as the police force, um, how is it changing what you do? Or is it? Well, I would say that um, society in general, uh, a lot of our communication and activity has has sort of moved online from the real world to the virtual world. A lot of things that people are interested in are online, and uh, probably the number one way of communicating 
with uh, each other is online, and the biggest portion of that online communication has become social media. And it has mm-hmm. a lot of good points and a lot of bad points, but I've been working at this for uh, since the days of MySpace. Uh, I've had a, an open police presence uh, here with the Burlington Police Department. MySpace, is that still around? <laughs> yeah, they so- still have a site. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing like the heyday that they enjoyed uh, a few years ago. <laughs> You mentioned um, some good aspects and some negative aspects. Can you give examples of both like from, from your perspective, you know, being on the police force? You know, what are the good aspects of social media and what are the negative? Oh, I could go on and on. We, we don't have enough time to talk about all of them. But I would say generally one great thing that has happened with social media is that a lot of police departments have adopted it. And in fact, uh, Twitter is, is very popular with police departments. I believe one reason for that is that when Twitter was invented, it was actually inspired by the way police communicate with each other. Um, really? Yeah. One I didn't of the creators actually worked on police um, and public safety software. And I guess while he was hanging around in police and fire departments, he noticed that the way we spoke on the radio was in very short and brief messages. And I have to confess that when I first heard of Twitter, I thought it sounded like the stupidest thing in the world. But actually, it's really very natural for us to communicate this way. And uh, it's been a great tool for us. So we can communicate with the public very directly. Uh, When news comes out, we can warn people of any situations right away. We can receive questions from people right away. And we can monitor events in real time. Those are some of the positives. On the negative side, uh, I think we've seen quite a bit of news with how social media can be manipulated and how it can spread negative stories. And uh, most, the most damaging thing is uh, information that's not true. And that can cause all kinds of issues in the worlds of public safety and emergency management. So as a police officer you know, and somebody obviously well-versed in social media then, how do you root out you know, what's true and what's not. How does that impact you? Well, I think we've seen it with a a number of different movements, and we could see it with um, in real-time situations. So uh, in the old days, a rumor would spread uh, face-to-face. One person would tell another, and they would tell two more, and they would tell two more. And eventually that rumor would get around, and it would also be distorted. Uh, just like when you were children and you'd play the game Operator, where you'd start at one end and whisper something in someone's ear, and by the time the story came around, it was completely different. Well, mm-hmm. now with social media, we've taken that and we've sort of had an exponential uh, effect. So let's say something simple happens in front of Burlington High School, for example, in Burlington, Mass. Maybe uh, there's a car crash, and it's relatively minor. That would not normally be a big thing, but let's say... Some kid at the scene decides to take a picture of it, focusing in on maybe the damage on the vehicle. And they could say, like, oh, just joking. Oh, you know, somebody got killed in front of the high school. That could turn into, oh, my God, somebody had a horrible crash in front of the high school. Uh, Children died in front of the high school. And then now we have panicking parents seeing this on social media and calling us. Uh, Oh, my God, what happened at the high school? And it's literally a, a minor fender bender. And you go, what? What are you talking about? So we can see how accidentally information can be spread rapidly. And this is not, you know, with bad intent. It's just sort of a human nature thing, I think, where uh, stories spread. And when you get a little 
piece of wrong information in there, that can spread quite a bit. So what happens when, you know, those situations occur? You know, you're getting extra calls. Do you, you know, how does the police handle that? Because, you know, you've never heard of this situation, but then what if it is actually true? You know, how, how, do, you, how do you manage those kind of things? Well, there are two different sides to this. So let's say the information is false. Uh, if hopefully we're monitoring social media at that time, we can immediately respond and say, hey, this is not true. And this is what actually happened. And that usually works pretty well. Now, let's say we're not monitoring it, and it just continues to go, and then eventually we learn about it. We still would have the same response. If it's something that's a little bit more um, deliberate, then that can create a lot of issues as well. Uh, I have TweetDeck, uh, a social media monitoring tool, up in front of me right now, and I can see uh, Hingham High School in Massachusetts is in a lockdown because of some sort of threat. So you can see social media has changed that. Uh, Threats can be received so many ways, and I'm seeing real-time information here that a high school in Massachusetts is in a lockdown. 14 seconds ago, this message just came out. So we're seeing that the information is spreading very rapidly. And if police aren't ready to deal with that information immediately and act on it, um, there could be a lot of problems. Now, what might this help me with? Well, Hingham is kind of far from here. But if it was, say, a neighboring city or town, if I saw that, I could call down to my dispatch right now and say, hey, just to let you know, one of our neighboring uh, towns has some kind of an incident going on at one of their schools. And maybe we can be ready to help them and we'd have a better response to help them out. So do you see messages that, uh, you know, along those lines um, where, you know, you can use them to maybe, you know, keep our eyes open for a gray car, you know, things like that. Does it help to actually, um, using the school example that you're looking at now, it's in lockdown, there was mention of a gray car. So if you can, you see that, that actually, I'm assuming, helps the police be able to keep an eye out for this gray car now, right? You can Because you can yeah. now you can use social media to, uh, well, crime fight. Exactly, exactly. That has been very beneficial. So some of the examples, real-life real, real life examples we've had here, I think one of the uh, funniest ones uh, we had was um, a, a woman was eating at a restaurant in town, and she left her tablet um, in a, in a bag right at her chair and walked over to the counter. And um, I think she accidentally left it there and then left the building. Well, an elderly woman sees this. She goes over and she literally stole it. And you can clearly yeah. tell in the video that she stole this, this uh, Apple iPad. And uh, she, we had a great video of it. So what I did with that was I put it out on our social media and I could literally just count seconds. I, I said, watch this. I, I posted it, and uh, it was on our YouTube channel, and we have that connected to our Twitter and, and Facebook, so it automatically posts to those. And I counted five, four, three, two, one, and all the news stations were calling up right away. This is a great really? story. How, how often do you see an elderly woman uh, stealing something right on film? And, you know, if you put a little funny line in it, then that generates even more interest. So that story, immediately it it goes viral, semi-viral on social media. It's retweeted hundreds and hundreds of times. It's spread on Facebook. 
It's shared on YouTube. And then it's on the real-life news. Hey, if anybody knows who this woman is, please let us know so we can get that tablet back. And it actually led to uh, the suspect turning herself in uh, later that evening when she saw it on the news. Uh, she wow. knew, oh, that's that's me, and uh, you really can't get around it. And I think she she kind of knew, hey, the I better turn myself in before somebody else does. Well, with social media, you're you know really you're always on now. It's a twenty four hour world, literally. Exactly, exactly. And we can spread information. And and if you know, if you understand how it works, and you understand how people think, and you understand the news cycle. And whether or not it's a slow news day or, you know, uh, a very busy news day, you can use those things to really get your messages out there and really have a pretty positive effect on people. Um, I've had some other interesting ones. I had one that people thought was great was uh, maybe you received them in your hometown, these these scam calls from uh, in the U.S. It's the IRS. Somebody will call your, your house uh, pretending to be the Internal Revenue Service and that you have to pay them money right now or they're going to come and arrest you. When elderly we're actually, people get those calls, they, they get really panicky. Yeah, we're getting that scam right right now up here yeah. in Canada, but from our uh, Canadian Revenue Agency. And believe it or not, so, I got that call just two days ago. Oh, yeah, that's great. So So you can understand, okay, these things come in. Now, most people will say, oh, this is, of course, it's a scam, but... Maybe a lot of people don't know that yet. So <laughs> one way we could fight that, I have a really hard time just, we could try to investigate it traditionally and, and maybe try to figure out, you know, they, they, they use tools to change their phone numbers and very often they're overseas. And I believe this was a particular group that probably originated in India. So yes. it's very, very difficult for us to track that down to the suspects. <clears throat> get a hold of them and it would take it would take thousands of hours and it would be a huge investigation and might not even ever pay off. So what was my non traditional approach? I said, hey, how about I start calling them? And I started calling them and, and rather than just um threaten them like, oh I'm the police, look out, they know I can't do anything to them, but what can I do? Maybe if I share the phone number um, mm-hmm. online with people and let them know, hey, if you see this number pop up, don't answer it. It's the scam. And then maybe I start calling them and calling them repeatedly. And then I start asking them stupid questions. And I'm working away on other things. But, you know, every few minutes I'd hit redial. And then I'd start asking about what tax forms <laughs> to use and all kinds of ridiculous questions. And then I tweet about it. And what's the purpose of that? Well, people follow that. They think it's funny. They think it's entertaining. And they get a kick out of it. And so they start sharing those messages. And then when they share it enough, it makes it to the local TV news, where hopefully a lot of our elderly people see that on the local news. Hey, a lieutenant in Burlington, Mass., uh, had these scammers, and he was calling them, and it's ha ha. It's a funny story, but they really want you to know to watch out for these scams and not talk to these people. And we mm-hmm. get our message across. Without social media, that message would just be a little blurb. But when you really know how to magnify a message, you can get a lot more coverage, and you can reach people not only on the social media platforms, but on the television news and the local newspapers as well. Yeah, it helps get that that awareness out there so that, you know, hopefully you, you know, the police are not getting all these unnecessary calls. 
You know, hey, I've exactly. just been called about such and such. Well, you've already got the message out there. People have seen it on the news now. They're sharing and, you know, maybe having a laugh, like you said, you know, about it. But it helps spread that message out there. Yep. And that's the goal. So what happens, because you, you made a good point there, that they can make their phone number look le- uh, legitimate. And I'll use my example from two days ago. The I did an internet search with the phone number that cropped up, and the number was a legitimate CRA number. So. Yes. You know, how how can people spot the difference? You know, it's a legitimate number and people, you know, are saying, you know, you owe money to the either the IRS or up here, you know, CRA. You know, what kind of things maybe I could just ask, you know, and then know that you know what? Uh, it's a scam because of this. Honestly, I've gotten otherwise to the point it looks now, legitimate. I, I've gotten to the point now where I tell people I don't my phone at home, I tried to get rid of my landline and I couldn't because it would cost me more to get rid of it than keep it because of the package that I have with the cable company. So when that phone rings, I don't even answer it, honestly. Uh, it's, 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 the scams have become so prevalent, and they're, they're, they're nearly impossible to stop. So I just tell people, don't even answer your home phone. You know, unless you expect a call from somebody, you know, don't even answer it. And even when yeah. you do answer the phone, if somebody says, oh, it's your grandson or somebody else... Make sure, because they're actually, that's another scam that they're pulling with, with grandparents. They'll say, hi, I'm your grandson. I'm, I'm in jail. I need money for a lawyer. Um, anything that, that asks you to send money is, mm-hmm. is probably these days a scam, because that's yeah, not how pe- everyone knows. Don't, don't call somebody to ask for money. Send them a letter or maybe let them get in touch with you. I just tell people, don't ever send money to anybody unless you know for sure who the person is and why you're sending it. And if anybody ever calls you up with something that makes you have an emotional response, mm-hmm. or even if you see something online that makes you have a strong emotional response, question it. Because these are designed, these messages are designed, these scams are all designed to play on your emotion, to overrule your logical mind, and to make you uh, perhaps give money right away. Uh, I can tell you right now that anybody, uh, a lot of the ways they do these scams, they'll ask for gift cards or uh, maybe green dot money cards or Apple iTunes cards. So do you know many people, let's say age 70 and above, who typically would go out and purchase those things? No, no, I mean, you hardly ever see that. So that's a red flag right there. If somebody is totally unfamiliar with these things and they're walking into a, a, a pharmacy and they're saying, oh, I need quick, I need $3,000 of, of money cards, that's, that's, that's an issue. Um, it's, it's because they're obviously they're panicking and mm-hmm. they're being asked to get these cards so that they can send the money to these scam artists. Uh, that's not a normal thing. So I tell people, don't don't ever think you're going to pay the government with anything except a check, <laughs> you know, a traditional check. Um, the government doesn't take green dot money cards or Apple iTunes cards or any of that stuff. Um, just don't ever send money to anybody unless you know for sure it's a legitimate thing. And if, if they don't want to take your money in the form of a check or a regular standard credit card, right away, you know, there's there's something wrong there. No legitimate business, no legitimate government is going to ever tell you, we want green dot money cards or Apple iTunes cards or Google Play. It just doesn't work that way. So mm-hmm. I just tell people, and I also tell people, you know what? Call your local police department and ask them. I have no problem. People call up here all the time. Hey, I got a call. The guy said he was from the IRS. We say, oh, don't worry about it. 
you know, we're not coming down to arrest you. They're not coming down to arrest you. Um, just, just hang up on them. And I th- we're going to take a break right there. We're going to continue talking because uh, you're mentioning some great things right now. Um, we come, we're talking with Lieutenant Glenn Mills from Burlington, Massachusetts uh, Police Department. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Lieutenant Glenn Mills from the Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department. And we're talking about uh, a lot of social media. Um, Glenn, just you were giving us some great uh, Uh, insights of things, how to pay attention to some of the social media messages and even our home phone numbers. And I just wanted to share uh, a story that my father, he stopped uh, when he was alive, you know, um, he stopped listening to uh, the phone calls and stopped answering the phone calls unless my number propped up. Um, For the same reason, he was getting calls from, you know, the CRA scammers, you know, uh, even had a call from supposedly me being in uh, London, England, saying that I was in trouble and things like that. So he just stopped answering them. Now, you mentioned during our break, you mentioned that um, in the United States, there's something that uh, maybe people could uh, sign up for. 
help yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's available in Canada or not, but there is a service I, I recommend. It's called Nomo Robo, sort of like No More Robot Calls, and it's N O M O R O B O. And you can go to nomorobo.com, and you can sign up for free. And it actually will uh, kill a lot of the ro- those robo calls going to your home phones. So on uh, my phone, which I haven't answered in I don't know how many years. Uh, I screen all my calls. I listen to the uh, when the voice comes on. If I know who it is, I'll pick it up. If I don't, I don't answer. But this has actually killed a lot of the robot calls that have come in. So my phone, every once in a while, it will ring one time, and then that's it. And I know that was a robo call that got killed by No More Robo. Well, I know up here in Canada we have a do not call list, which you sign up on and all my, all my numbers, even my old home number, which I got rid of uh, about two years ago, um, is on there. But I have found from anybody that's on these sites, you know, that signs up, over time, the calls start coming back. Yeah, if you use your phone uh, to order a pizza, uh, sometimes that number will go into a database that is then shared with other providers sold, resold, um, and that becomes information that's out there. If you put your phone number on nearly any lo- online uh, form or, or website or anything now, at some point that site will accidentally disclose it or it will be hacked. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's almost inevitable at this point. Uh, I think privacy is, is sort of over. And I think that yeah. uh, once a piece of information does get out and become available online, uh, there are a lot of simple techniques that I can use to find people uh, using open sources that anyone can look at. And um, it's amazing what is out there right now. It is very easy to find a lot of information on nearly anybody. I mean, if you live in a cabin and you've never had a, a computer or a credit card or anything else, yeah, it's going to be really hard to find you. But even then, there are a lot of public records that are becoming um, more and more available online. Uh, there's just a lot of information out there. That's true. You know, we, even old paper files, and I remember working on a project years ago, we scanned everything. So yep. w- what may have existed in a file cabinet in one spot, in one building, in one city, is now online for everyone. <laughs> yes, and then that becomes yeah. even more easily searched because in the old days, you may have scanned documents online but Google couldn't read them or tell what they said. But now with uh, OCR, optical character recognition, Google can scan uh, these things and find words, and, and, and some of the other web crawlers can as well. So there might be a lot of information that was scanned before that wasn't available that's becoming even more and more available. Images are another thing. If you have an image, a picture, uh, once you post that online, that becomes available, and that becomes even searchable. Mm-hmm. Well, nothing. Well, you said it. You know, there is no such thing as privacy, really, when it comes to social media. It's 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 just out there, yep. and it's always out there. So, who is? Let, let's talk about who's going after you know these these things. You know, what organizations should we be aware of? You know, I, I obviously the one that comes to mind is Anonymous, but uh, you know, they can't be the only group out there. There there must be others. You know. Oh. The world today is a, an absolute free-for-all. And I think with the, the, the U.S. election in 2016, I think, I think we're really seeing a whole new era in uh, information and information wars. 
And not only information wars with nations and nation states battling each other, it's, it's going to filter its way down to the state and local levels. Uh, we've become so tied into social media that it's, it's very easy now to spread misinformation or sway people's opinions. I was reading one recent study that um, one social scientist uh, believes that she has evidence that shows that, that the Russians were successful in, in swaying the U.S. election. And I'm not saying that to be controversial. I know mm-hmm. people don't agree with it. I don't, I don't really care about the politics very much, honestly. I'm not that big a you know political person. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really you know think either party is you know better than the other. I, I'm I'm just sort of more of a data and facts kind of person. And the fact yeah. is that the Russians did manipulate our elections. They did try to interfere. I saw it happening in real time. I actually saw tweets, and I would look <coughs> at the location and and see that they were coming from Saint Petersburg in Russia. Really? And they were pretending to be counts from the Midwestern United States. And it was amazing to me. I, I said, wow, this is really incredible. Uh, this is something, it's so crazy that we haven't seen this. And now, if everyone sees how successful Russia was, well, why wouldn't my country be successful? Maybe I'll start spending more money, such as, you know, China, North Korea. Uh, you'll see more and more nations getting into this. And this very idea of just, maybe maybe it's a minor thing. Maybe Maybe, let's say, Canada and Mexico would like a better trade deal with the United States. And maybe mm-hmm. they could start spreading stories of, hey, this is why it's good to have a good trade deal and try to convince uh, Americans, oh, yeah, that would be great. Or vice versa. Maybe the United States starts trying to influence uh, people's thoughts and ideas around the world with, hey, this is why it would be good to have a trade deal with the United States. So we're seeing these influence campaigns and it's governments. It's, it's always been corporations. I mean, advertising is actually very effective. But now we're starting to see them push ideas and make it look like it's not coming from uh, that source. So they may try to make you think, oh, these are my friends online, and they all like this, so I should like this too. When these are, are in fact, not real people. Maybe they're, they're paid uh, programmers, hackers, and maybe they're even bots in some location, which are computer programs that pretend to be people. And that's become very effective as well. So how do we... You know, because obviously you said, you know, it's a free-for-all, so it's the good guys and the bad guys, you know, do whatever they want almost. How do we, you know, using myself as an example, how do I recognize the difference between what's legitimate and what's not if all that kind of stuff is happening? So the number one, I think, the, the best warning of something like that is when you see something, you can tell it's probably been designed to manipulate you if you have a strong emotional response to it. So they'll plant stories. Uh, let's say, for example, oh, this person um, was beaten up at a rally, or this person was attacked by police for no reason, or these police officers were attacked for no reason. They're, they're manipulating both sides of the coin here and trying to mm-hmm. uh, divide us, make our opinions even more extreme, because that is really – I mean, you think about it. You, you will never defeat the United States and Canada and all the democracies if we're all – democratic. But if we Mm -hmm. have more and more extremes of opinions within our societies, that's going to cause problems. And like I said, it's all the way from the federal level. It trickles all the way down to the local level. So we could even have, it's it's not impossible, and it actually did happen, where 
let's say uh, in Russia, they plan a rally in Florida on a street corner. And this is a, let's say, pro-extremist rally. And then they'll also organize online a counter-demonstration. So you could sit Mm. in St. Petersburg, Russia, organize, let's say, a KKK rally or a hate rally, whatever you want to call it. And you could also organize a counter-protest. And you would literally have people showing up in the real world at that same spot, at that same time. And what is the inevitable result? You're going to have conflict, violence. And then who's going to have to deal with that? The local police department that happens to be in that city or town. Yeah, and then before you know it, you've you've, you've created a social media um, social media um, firestorm because now people who showed up for something fake are now reporting on something that really did happen. And I, I guess the people in St. Petersburg are like, "Good job done." Exactly. Exactly. Now take it even further. Now, what if it doesn't have to be a government anymore? Now we learn how to use these techniques. Um, I could buy several thousand bots online for a short amount of money and I could just be an individual with bad intentions. I could make it seem like something horrible happened here. I could make it seem like uh, the police shot somebody at the Burlington Mall in Massachusetts for no reason. I could make it seem real. I could literally generate a message, put in photos, video. I could take video from another incident, manipulate it to make it look real like it happened here. And I could put these stories out. I can make it look like it's legitimate news sources. I could do a lot of damage with very little effort and very little skill even. You don't even need to be mm-hmm. that skilled. You just need the, the, um, some knowledge, some skills, and some abilities, and um, some time. And if you're willing to do something like that and nobody ever checks it, if it doesn't get stopped before it becomes a viral thing, you're going to have a real-life problem. Now, on the, what happens further down the line now, when that starts happening commonly, now when do people start actually believing what they're saying? This is the biggest danger. We're on a really bad path right now, and I think mm-hmm. what's going to happen is that people are going to stop, and we're seeing attacks now on, in the media, on the media. Uh, we can't trust the local news media. Everything is fake news. People pretty soon are all going to have their own realities. We're going to have problems with people mm-hmm. not believing facts. We're going to have problems with people not believing anybody. So what are we going to do at that point? I, uh, honestly, I don't know. I hope that we'll be able to control our messages and people will see us as a valid source of news. But we're going to have a lot of problems in the next few years with this. I don't know how it's all going to hash out, but I predict the future is going to be very interesting. And there's a lot of potential danger here. I agree. It reminds me of, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure your generation, but uh, the the Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man, where they yes. manipulated news reports to make people appear as though they were criminals when they really weren't. Yep. yep. You know, and it was it was all, you know, use the expression that's being used now, fake news. So yes. what, and I guess with what's happening now, and it's got to make your job harder, is that people will believe things that aren't true and won't believe things that are true, which right. puts them put, can put them in danger, right? Exactly. Uh, these things happen during disasters. What if, what if there's an evacuation order and then somebody says, no, that's fake, but it's a real evacuation order or mm-hmm. vice versa. 
I mean, there are so many different issues right now, and especially during a disaster. Now it's even harder to get sources of information because the information sources have all been damaged some way. Uh, let's say tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunami. You have all these different issues, and then fake news can be generated during those issues. It, it just it's just going to be really, really difficult to deal with these things in the future. So I would recommend another thing would be to find the original source of the news. If you find somebody calling themselves the Burlington Police Department, make sure that's a, really, uh, that's a real account because what's going to stop somebody from sending, setting up accounts with uh, using our name or, or some other name? I mean, I have a funny story of MySpace. Years ago, I was on MySpace, and there was an FBI account on there. And really? I know for a fact it wasn't the FBI. No, why would the FBI have have a MySpace page? Back then they weren't the they weren't the coolest guys in the room. <laughs> you know, but Still now they're pretty some. savvy. They're very savvy now. But back then, maybe not as much. And I thought there's no way the FBI is on MySpace. And it turned out I found in the news it was some kid in Ohio had set up a, an FBI page and people were sending him tips. They were sending him, hey, my neighbor's a terrorist, my neighbor's a drug dealer, and this is some kid in Ohio. Just took him a couple of minutes to set up a page and took the FBI logo and stuck it on there. I mean, you think about that. that that's the, the, the social media companies have gotten a little bit better at catching those things, but mm -hmm. it's still not that hard to do. Well, the, the more they find tools to uh, restrict that kind of thing from occurring the more um, some of these people, you know, e using the stereotype, you know, eating the potato chips and pop in a basement, you'll find ways around it. Exactly. If, if everything with security is uh, somebody comes up with a new lock and then somebody will find a way to pick it. Somebody comes up with a new way of confirming something, somebody will figure out a way to obfuscate that. Uh, I think artificial intelligence is going to be incorporated into the defenses but it will also be incorporated into the offense. So you could use an artificial intelligence program to generate fake accounts on a very quick level. Um, but there are a lot of different little things you can look for that would make you suspect an account. Uh, there are a lot of patterns that you might see, but they're going to get better and better at not showing their hand. Mm -hmm. So where you might see a Twitter account pop up and it could say, you know, farmer from Iowa, and you go, oh, well, here's a farmer from Iowa. But then you go, Whoa, wait a minute, farmer from Iowa was created on the same day as these other 3,000 accounts, and they all follow each other, and they were all created on the same day. Is that a normal mm -hmm. thing that would happen? Never in a million years. So you can look for little clues like that. Sometimes you can look at the image that they may use on their profile. That image will be used over and over and over again. Uh, there are a lot of different little clues you can use to identify fake accounts. And um, one thing I really like to recommend, too, is if you really want to check out what the Russians are pushing, uh, you try, try the Hamilton uh, dashboard. It's a, I think it's Hamilton 68 is what it's called. Hamilton 68 dashboard? Google Hamilton. Yeah, if you Google Hamilton 68, it's um, the Alliance for Securing Democracy. And you can actually see what uh, pro-Russian uh, social media accounts are pushing. It'll show you the hashtags that they're using and the topics that are trending that are being pushed by uh, Russian news media, which is all state-run news media. 
It's very interesting. Just to look and, and think about it. It's not just the Russians. It's going to be other governments, and it's also going to be going to be other organizations, and it's going to be uh, gangs, criminal gangs. It's going to be individual criminals or small criminal groups. It's going to be very loosely affiliated groups like Anonymous. Um, this this information war is is just going to it's going to continue, and it's going to get worse and worse. But this is a very interesting thing to just check out that site. And the Hamilton 68 uh, dashboard is just a fascinating thing to look at every day to see what's being pushed and how people are trying to manipulate us right now. Well, I've heard that expression that, um, um, what is it, something along the lines of information is the new currency. Oh, yeah. Information has been currency for a a long time, but now to the degree that we've never seen in our history. And Mm -hmm. misinformation. I mean, you think about the, the things that you can do uh, look at um, one example. Elon Musk uh, just got in trouble for some things on Twitter, and he's being investigated for manipulating stock because he can go on there, he can tweet something, and there mm-hmm. you go. The stock drops hundreds of dollars or rises hundreds of dollars. Um, you look at when uh, our president in the U.S. says something online, that can change world events instantly. Um, yes. It, it's incredible. It, it's, it's like nothing we've ever seen in history. And I think that's a great uh, spot to end our second segment. We're talking with Lieutenant Glenn Mills from the Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department on social media. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking today with Lieutenant Glenn Mills from the Burlington, Massachusetts Police Department. Um, Glenn, we've been talking about social media, and I know there's something else I want to get to that you're involved with. Is there anything, any last comments uh, you would like to make about, you know, uh, people and the use of social media and any closing well, comments again, for a couple I would, minutes? I would just emphasize that um, just if people were more aware of how people are trying to manipulate them, online, if they just had an awareness of it and they didn't, uh, let's say, fall for it every single time, like before you retweet a story or share it on Facebook or whatever platforms you're on, just kind of do a a gut check and say, well, is this really something that might not be real? You Mm -hmm. you know, is it something that's just designed to uh, inflame people and make them angry? or make people point at others and say, oh, it's their fault for something, then then just do a gut check, double check it, try to find the source of the information, and just make sure you're not being manipulated because it's going to get worse before it gets better. And you could, you could be setting yourself up for you know, some sort of really bad failure, so to speak, you know, if you don't do your research. Exactly. And especially during, it's even so much more critical during an emergency, during a disaster, uh, people unwittingly spread a lot of false information during disasters, and it becomes another issue for public safety agencies to manage. We have to manage crowds during disasters sometimes, but now Mm -hmm. we have to manage online communications and say, oh, no, stop spreading misinformation because you could actually hurt people. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, I know I've done that. I've the last couple of years now, I do a lot more research, you know, rather than just respond emotionally, which I think is yeah. what many of us do, right? We see something and, oh, this is how I feel about that. And before you know it, you know, we're we're being led down a path that's you no know, not true. Right. So, uh, Glenn, I know you're involved with other things, and I, I want to touch on that now. You are, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the president of Maca. And can, yes. you, can, you tell us, can you tell us what MACA is? So MACA is the Massachusetts Association of Crime Analysts. And when I tell people I'm the president of the Mass Association of Crime Analysts, they say, oh, is that like CSI? And I have to tell them, no, <laughs> no, sorry, it's not like that. Um, it's actually dealing with data and information. So if you see a crime map or you see crime statistics or maybe even sometimes, hopefully, crime predictions, that would be something more along the lines of crime analysis, taking information and actually using the information. Uh, when I got on the job, I learned that police gather an incredible amount of information. Uh, they throw it into file cabinets or now into hard drives, and they never use it again. And I think there has to be a better way of doing that, and maybe we can look at patterns and things, and maybe we can, we can prevent crime and keep things from happening in the first place. That's my goal. So the, if that's your goal. What's what is you know, Maca all about? Because obviously they were there before you, right? So uh, I'm assuming. So what are you going to be doing now? You know, do you have people sign up that are just interested, or do you have only other crime analysts as members? You know, how does how does that all work? How does the organization work in that regard? 
So that's a great question. We were founded over 20 years ago. The International Association of Crime Analysts was founded before us. That's an organization that has membership worldwide of, uh, I think it's well over 3,000 members now around the world, mostly in the U.S. and Canada. Massachusetts uh, formed our own association many years ago, but we're sort of the de facto Northeast Association of Crime Analysts. And we have members everywhere from New Jersey all the way up the eastern seacoast and all the way into uh, Newfoundland and Ontario. Uh, we have one member in Austria. So oh, wow. um, <laughs> if you join MACA, my organization, you get free membership in the International Association as well. So we consist of mostly police officers, sworn officers, and civilian crime analysts, but we also have students, criminal justice students, and we also have uh, academics in the organization, and even a few people who maybe are retired police, and a few people who just have a very strong interest in, in crime analysis. And we do a training once a month. We'll have a meeting at a local department anywhere in the Northeast, at Mostly in Massachusetts, but we've met in New Hampshire, and we can meet in any state in New England. And we also run a conference once a year uh, on Cape Cod, and that's uh, in May. It'll be the day after Mother's Day and for that whole week, where we have uh, speakers from, from all over the place, and we talk about issues related to crime analysis. So if you have all these analysts and you know, police departments that gather all these, this data, and do you share how this data uh, to, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going to be stupid here, but, you know, to fight crime. Yeah. You know, it, um, it's that part of the goal. Yes, absolutely. So people, if you watch some of these shows, you think that the police, uh, Hey, we get a piece of information and we can, we can pull up cameras from corners and we can do all kinds of things. Um, and it's just not true. <laughs> it's not <laughs> as good as it looks like on TV. There's a lot of work behind it. So, in the states, uh, like Burlington, Massachusetts, is 11.8 square miles, which I don't know what that works out to in the kilometers. Something like 20 16, square kilometers or something. But anyways, uh, we have a jurisdiction, and we monitor everything in our jurisdiction. But if somebody is two towns away from us doing something, and then they do it in this town, it's very difficult to piece that information together. Mm-hmm. Not all, all of these computer systems that we have don't talk to each other. I thought after 9-11 we were going to get a lot better. We've gotten a little better. But you still need some human intervention uh, to go through all this data and say, hey, the guy who robbed the grocery store in the town of Westford, Massachusetts, also hit the town of Hingham, Massachusetts, and also hit Burlington, Massachusetts, and then tie those cases together. And if we're doing a really good job, we could even say, oh, here it is on a map. And if we're doing a better job, we could say, hey, you know what? They actually hit like every Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Wouldn't that be great to know for the next one? So is that the kind of one of the goals of, um, you know, well, not just MACA, but I guess IACA, you know, is to not necessarily solve crime, sit and solve crimes, but share data or find ways to um, connect everybody to be able to share data. Is, is that absolutely am I interpreting that absolutely. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a number of missions that we're trying to accomplish, and it would be sharing data. It would be doing things better. I mean, no matter what type of policing you do, you really should have some sort of analysis behind it. Uh, what we have found over the years is there are a lot of programs out there that police do, but nobody knows if they work or not. Everyone <laughs> feels like, oh, they feel good. This is a feel-good program, but do we know if there's any effect? 
Are we even measuring that? Yeah. So how can, if people have questions about um, IACA or MACA, how do they get a hold of you? Is there a website they can go to? Yeah, for the IACA, their website is very simple. It's IACA.net. And you can go onto their website and you can read. uh, They have a lot of documents and publications on there, some really interesting articles. Uh, There is a book called Exploring Crime Analysis. Um, I contributed one chapter to that book. It's a 19-chapter book with a number of topics related to crime analysis. Um, There's a research digest. There are white papers that are really interesting. One includes uh, social network analysis is on there. Uh, You'll find a number of resources on there. And then if you're more local to us, uh, our website is macrimeanalysts.org. macrimeanalysts.org. And that brings you to our site where you would find uh, links to a few things, some blog articles, things that are more uh, local and Mm -hmm. relevant for people in this area. And you could also find information on joining the organization. I would recommend it for criminal justice students especially. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of people get into the field, but they don't necessarily want to be police officers, but they don't know what to do with that CJ degree. And crime analysis is a growing field where you could actually – you know, be a part of the team and really help out without necessarily having to work midnight shifts. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, we only have three minutes left and I know you're a part of another organization. So can you take two minutes to, to uh, describe um, your, I guess, a new hat that you're wearing? Yeah. So I've been a member of uh, police futurist international for a number of years. And uh, they recently asked me if I would be involved more uh, on their board and I'm now a vice president of that organization. What I like about futurism is sort of discovering what the next trends will be and what is going to happen down the road. And I did talk about that with social media. I'm really interested in that because I find a lot of organizations aren't ready for what's going to happen in the future. So by looking at trends and and things that might come around uh, years from now, we can start preparing now and get our local police departments, state police departments, and even federal uh, law enforcement agencies a little bit more prepared so that they're not surprised when the next big thing happens. So what is the goal of um, Police Futurist International? Is it to educate organizations or is it to uh, develop a strategy to deal with the future or you know, what, what's its overall goal? That's exactly it. It's, um, it's, it's about <clears throat> doing research and trying to uh, figure out what is going to be happening so that police leaders can be more strategic in, in how they plan for things. Policing tends to be very reactionary, and mm-hmm. it's pretty seldom that you'll find police departments that are really, really thinking about the future and uh, what is coming down the road. So that's the organization can really uh, help people be more prepared for the future. And do they have a website for anyone uh, interested yes. in having a look? That would be policefuturists.org. The word police and the word futurists with an S at the end, dot O-R-G. And if you check okay. that out, you'll see uh, the welcome message and about PFI and some of the research uh, that, that's been done. Okay, great. So I've got less than two minutes. Do you have any final words that you would like to say no. about social media overall? I'd just like to say thank you for, for having me on your show. Uh, it was great meeting you in uh, Toronto. 
Um, really enjoyed talking to you up there, and I hope that if anybody, um, I'm, I'm always open to helping people whenever I can, and if anybody ever, you know, is interested in this topic or these topics, and they they maybe want to get in touch with someone who's more of an expert than me, because there are tons of experts <laughs> that are better than me, um, I like putting people in touch with each other and, and helping them out. Great, and Again, I'd like to thank uh, yourself and all your colleagues for the great work you do on a daily basis, you know, protecting uh, people like myself and, you know, all my neighbors, uh, regardless of where you're located. You know, um, I I support you guys very much and uh, you're very thankful that you're there to help us when we need you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And to everyone out there, again, if there's a subject you'd like us to talk about, please feel free. Send me an email. I do respond to everything, and we'll see about getting uh, your topic addressed or yourself on the show to talk about it. Otherwise, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.